Let's pray. God, it is a joy that You've brought us in You. And I thank You so much for Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And I ask God right now that You would teach us, that You would draw our hearts, our minds, everything to You and make Him attentive. I pray for the children that are learning right now also, God, that You would be with them and grow them in You. In Your name, Amen. Maybe see it. Well, uh, Naomi got her uh, her present for her birthday. Um, I lost my voice. <clears throat> but uh, I think I'm going to be able to make it through. So uh, it is awesome to be able to preach this morning in the Christmas season because the Christmas season is one of my favorite times of year. I love the ambiance, the, the Christmas lights, the trees, all the traditions that we have. Um, I remember as a kid, I had one of those uh, paper calendars. You know what I'm talking about, where you, you do the rings. Every day of the week when you get into December, you take another ring off. And then every day, I'd go back and I'd recount each ring to see how many were there. Probably more than once, I don't know. And I'd be so excited. And then I'd look at all the Christmas presents under the tree. And I'd try to guess what that one was or what that one was. There was one time I snuck into my parents' closet when we were living in Germany. And I found all my presents before they were wrapped. And I got excited. And then I ran into my mom. She was giving my sister a bath. And I said, Mom, you know what I hope I get for Christmas? And I listed off all the presents I'd just seen. She knew exactly what I had just done. Another thing that I love about Christmas time is that it gets cold. I fry in the sun, and I really like it when it gets cold because then I don't get fried and I don't have to put on sunscreen all the time. And I love to sit in my parents' living room with the fire going and a cup of hot chocolate and enjoy the ambiance. I know that, I, I hope, most of you guys can relate to most of the things that I'm talking about and you would have a lot of your own stories. Christmas time is a wonderful time of year and as Christians, of course, we celebrate the reason for the season and that being the birth of Jesus. He is the reason we give because He gave. And He's the reason we have hope Because Jesus came to earth without spot or blemish, lived a sinless life, and died as a sacrifice for our sins so that one day we might live with Him in a new heaven, in a new earth, free from all hurt and pain in a place that we can't even imagine how great it is. This year we've decided to celebrate this Christmas season of Advent by focusing on our anticipation of what is still to come. You heard that last Sunday when when Brad preached about the second coming of Christ. This week we're going to focus on the new heavens and the new earth that are to come. And we're going to focus primarily at the end of 2 Peter when he talks. 
But we're going to take in the totality of the book of 2 Peter and see what the context is. The new heavens and the new earth is the finish line. It's kind of like what we're looking at. Where we're, where we're headed towards. But there is a lot to be said for the right now and while we're living and what we need to, and how we need to be living until that time comes. Well, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and we'll read verses 8 through 15. Second Peter three, eight through fifteen. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting and hastening the coming, the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Our best Christmas is yet to come. Verse 13 says that we have a promise from God. We're awaiting a new heavens and a new earth. We can't imagine how great that's going to be. We're going to be in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, free from all hurt and pain. No more sorrow. No more going through all the stuff that we're going through and the sin that we have here on earth. can't imagine what that's going to feel like when we step in the new heavens and the new earth. We can try to get a good idea of what it might feel like. Maybe when we read passages like Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. It's going to be kind of the feeling that we have, leaping like calves from a stall. I wonder why we would have that sort of feeling. Maybe it's because heaven is going to be more grandiose than we ever could imagine. I think one of the best pictures that we get of heaven is when we read in Revelation chapter 21. Let's look at that passage together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice 
from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And then the chapter goes on to explain that God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Sovereign Lord. And it describes how beautiful heaven's going to be. All these different jewels, gems, uh, gold streets, glass, no mold. We're never going to have to remodel this place. Continuing in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, <clears throat> by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can only imagine what that will be like. For you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise up with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. Have you ever worked on a dairy farm? I did from the time I was 11 until I was 20 years old. Every summer, I loved it. I loved working on the dairy farm so much, my mom wanted to send me to go visit. Well, I don't know if she had ulterior motives. She wanted to send me to uh, Italy for a whole summer to visit uh, relatives and, and be with them. But I didn't want to leave the dairy farm. They're real smart. So I loved it so much. And I worked with the calves. All right? And as calves grow, they have different stages where they're, where they're with their mom. And then after that, and when we're still feeding them with the little bottle, bottle feeding them, they're in the small barn. And they're always tethered. And we'd go up and we'd feed the calves and take care of them. And they couldn't really, they never left there. It's just, they stayed in the small barn. Well, when it was time for them to go into the next place, they got to go in the free roaming barn. Well, the dairy farm I worked on was set up like this. We had the small barn over here. You have to walk the calves from that place through the big barn over to the free roaming pen. Okay? And if you've ever tried to lead a calf anywhere, you know it's not really that easy to try to lead them by the harness or by some baling twine around the neck. They'll just dig their heels in the ground and it's going to be a problem. You're going to be tugging and it's going to be a big fight. So what we did is we would take the baling twine and then we kind of cup it behind their legs, kind of nudge them along. And they're doing great. Focus. Wow, this is weird. I'm not tethered anymore. And they're going along, going along. And then you reach the big barn. Then they go crazy. They start balking. That's the noise we say that they make on the dairy farm. They start balking, whatever. And then they bounce around all over the place and start running all over the barn. And they see all this food. 
And you're like, for, for the first couple of times, oh, well, this is really neat. And then after a while, you get annoyed because you do it all the time. And you've got to get that calf under control and back into the other pen. I can only imagine what it would have been like for that calf that had been tethered all that time in that little barn to all of a sudden be free in an area that they didn't even know existed and was so big with more food than they could have ever imagined. Talk about sensory overload. Is that what heaven's going to be like? Something, something like that. Something. I'm here to beg and plead with each of you this morning to move in to the new heavens and the new earth. In a sense, I'm God's real estate agent. He wrote the description. I presented part of it to you. Are you interested? Is that where you want to live one day? Can you afford it? Well, verse 14 says we can all afford it as long as we're found without spot or blemish. We know that term really well. All throughout Scripture, it talks about sacrifices that are acceptable to God as long as they're found without spot or blemish. God says, you need to atone for your sins by presenting me a sacrifice. I want your best animal, the one without spot or blemish. I don't want the weak one. I don't want the middle one. I want the best. So, bad news. (laughs) We can't afford it. We cannot get to heaven on our own. Because we have spots and blemishes. We are covered in sin. But Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't. He died once for all, found without spot or blemish, completely free from sin in our place, that we may one day be joined with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Provided He knows us and we know Him. At this point, my sermon's pretty basic. And you might say, I I know, I know, I know that message. I've heard this message a thousand times. I love Jesus. I said the sinner's prayer. I'm saved. So on and so forth. To which I would say, good. Good. As long as that's true. As long as you're truly saved. Because if you aren't a Christian, you're not a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, then you're a child of destruction. You're someone who's living on this earth contrary to how God has called us to live. And your life, along with all of your possessions and everything you've worked for, is going to be burned up. In a word of warning to those of us that are Christian, how we are living in the world right now is going to be judged and exposed. And that which is not righteous is going to be burned up. Spelled out for us in Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. 
and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then if you move further on down, verse 12, it says, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That is a horrible, terrifying picture of what we have to look forward to if we're not Christian. And it's scary if we are Christian and we're not living how we should be right now. It's a big warning for us. But we know this message. We've heard it over and over again. Christians go to heaven. Heathens go to hell. Why bring it up again? Why talk about it over and over again? Because we need reminders all the time. Every day to keep us from being deceived by Satan. Listen to the way Peter began the book of 2 Peter. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. Before those verses, we see that clearly. And he's telling us that we need to remember Jesus Christ in order to, as he says in verse 10, make our calling and election sure. He used this word twice. Remember. Remember Christ. He said twice in verses 12 and 13 so that we make our calling and election sure. It's not enough just to say the sinner's prayer once. Are you sure you know Christ? So we need to slap ourselves in the face lest we think that we don't need to be reminded. In fact, if we grow weary of hearing this message over and over again, that's cause to check our hearts and see why does this message sound dull? Why am I not excited? Why does this not shake me? Why does this not give me peace? Why am I not looking forward to the return of Christ? Peter tells us that if we've forgotten the salvation we've found in Jesus, which is evidenced by the way we're living our lives, then we've become nearsighted to the point of blindness. The opposite of being nearsighted is to be Farsighted. And the opposite of blind is seeing. So, to see clearly without deception is to remember that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus and to keep our eyes focused on the day when we will inherit our home with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you ready to move in with Jesus? Do your actions, the way that you're living your life right now, reflect that you're ready 
to live with Jesus. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of godliness and holiness? What sort of people ought we to be? Godliness reflects our attitude which rules our hearts. And holy conduct has to do with our actions which rules our behavior. Our hearts and our behavior should magnify Christ. We should be living our lives completely for Christ with our whole heart. Whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, we do what? All to the glory of God. It sounds so easy, but it isn't. That's why we have to be reminded by God's promises and warned against the schemes of the devil. At the end of uh, the first letter in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, verse 8, Peter gave us a warning. He said, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour Satan's trying to devour us any way that he can. He prowls. He's a great deceiver that entices our hearts, which are already prone to sin. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Satan wants us to focus on Santa instead of Jesus. In gifts, instead of the giver. On our sinful desires, instead of the one who fulfills our desires on media drama, instead of God's sovereignty. He wants us to grow weary and fall away from God so that we won't trust God in all of His promises. Stand firm, brothers and sisters. Don't fall prey to Satan. Our body needs to hear that. There's drama that comes and goes even amongst us, even amongst our little church. Not even to mention the church as a whole. Stand on guard. Stand firm. Meditate on 2 Peter chapter 2. We get a long list of ways that Satan deceives us. And it usually comes in deceptive ways of deceptive teaching. And I want you to be mindful when I'm going through this list of different things, I'm just going to make a bullet point of them in it, that are listed in the second chapter that false teachers come in many different forms. They could come in forms of teachers at school. They could come in forms of someone from a pulpit speaking to us. They could come through commercials, media, other people within our church. They can come from many, many different avenues. Here's what Peter warns us. He says, don't believe that there isn't a God. That sounds silly. He's talking to believers. I don't know about you, but I've doubted before my own faith. It always comes back to ring true because God's good. And we're going to learn about a sanctification process next week. Number two, don't believe anyone who says that they're the Messiah. Like David Koresh. Those are some of the obvious ones. Beware of false teachers who tell you lies just to make money off of you. 
Beware lest you follow these false teachers and wander into all types of sexual sin. Slippery slope. Not going to look at her. Not going to look at her. I look at her. Where's, where's my mind going from here? I never thought I'd be sleeping with prostitutes. How did I get here? Beware. Beware not to fall into lust of the defiling passions. All sorts of passions. Lest we start to despise authority. Beware, beware, beware. Lest the blind lead the blind. And both fall into a pit. Many people would only like to hear about the riches that they're going to get in heaven. And not think about the destruction that's coming to the earth. Which is this travesty. God is so loving that He warns us over and over to turn from sin and live to Him because He wants us to be saved. We should really stop and evaluate our own lives and our beliefs. Is God in control of our lives? Or are we living for this world and the things in this world? We need to heed these warnings. Remember what Jesus told His disciples in Luke chapter 12. Any of you remember that? Luke chapter 12 is pretty scary at the end of it. I'll summarize it. Jesus said that we should be living our lives for Him and waiting for His turn. Uh, return with anticipation as if we're waiting for a master to return for a wedding banquet. Okay? With that kind of anticipation, God, I can't wait till you come back. We're going to have a big party. We're going to be united with you. That is how we should be waiting and hastening the coming day of the Lord. But Jesus warned that if we think Jesus has taken a long time to return, gives us reason to live against Him and when He returns, He will come on a day when we're not expecting Him. And He will cut us to pieces. And assign us a place with unbelievers. If that doesn't send any chills down our spine, then there is nothing that will. I've said the sinner's prayer. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. But I'm not living for Jesus. And Jesus returns. Probably you don't know Jesus. And He will cut you up and assign you a place with those that are not saved. I.e. hell. Basically, Jesus is making it clear that a true believer will heed His teachings and live for Him. Failure to be drawn back to Jesus by His Word is evidence that that person isn't a Christian. Jesus continues in the same story with a warning to those of us that are Christian that aren't living for Him. He says we're going to be held accountable for what we know. 
We've heard this message. We've been taught it many times. We have people that are around us trying to love us and help us along the way. Are we heeding their instruction? Are we listening to what the Bible is telling us? To whom much is given, much is required. And our works are going to be exposed. We might need to get a little bit of a spanking from Him when He returns. None of us are going to live perfect lives. But God is warning us here. He's saying, live for Me. Be watchful for Me. I love you. Heed My correction. Be waiting for Me as if we're going to party together and live together in new heavens and new earth. Remember that Jesus and His promises and keep our eyes focused on the goal. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We don't fight against our sinful desires and keep guard against false teaching, then we are going to fall. We'll begin to doubt God and His promises. We'll be getting to question whether or not He's even going to return. And Satan's going to be right there waiting for that moment. He's going to give us at just the right moment when Eve was over there at the garden. Satan was right there. It was the perfect time. 2 Peter 3, 4 says this. He says, They will say, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep and all things are continuing the way that they were from the beginning of creation. The skeptics are going to say, look, you've been following this, this religion of yours your whole life. The people that taught it, the people that God used to write that book, they're long gone. They've since been dead. Jesus hasn't returned. He's not going to return. And if we're falling into sin, if we're already having doubts because we're following the great deceiver, we might start to actually believe that. We need to remember that God's promises are true and His timing is always accurate. It's always going to happen. He's going to return. He said that. Remember, as it says later in the passage, that God's timing is different than ours. To him, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. As I grow older, Christmas seems to come around a lot more quickly than it did when I used to have my little paper calendar. So we shouldn't lose hope. Jesus is going to return at just the right time. God gives us great cause to rejoice, though, while we're waiting. Verse 9 says, the day or the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's good. That's really good for me. (laughs) Okay. Because if I am a Christian... And I am not living for Jesus right now. He is being patient with me right now so that I would 
put my nose in the Word or hear the Word from you or whatever the case may be and repent. Turn and live as I ought to live. Then you go down to verse 15. He says, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Do any of you know anyone that isn't saved? Obviously. Say yes. Patience of the Lord is salvation. So on the one hand, we long to leave this world because we're tired of all the suffering. And I'm thinking also of the people that might actually listen to this sermon as it's recorded online and they're in their home right now. Or Kathy and Jim Bragg going through what you're going through. I've never experienced any of that on my own. Some of the people that are on their deathbed right now suffering with cancer. And I can't imagine what that would be like. The pain meds aren't working. You can't seem to get rid of this pain. Jesus says, I love you. It's going to be okay. I'm in control of it. There is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. And just know this, that my waiting is loving. I am loving you right now. I am using you in your situation right now to bring someone else to know me. He's going to come when all of His people are gathered. He's going to come when all of the fullness of the Christian brothers and sisters have placed their faith in Him. Know that your suffering is part of the Gospel message. And it's saving people around you. Let's pray that we would have attitudes like our brother and our leader, the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21-26. through 26. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says it's far better to depart from this earth and be with Christ. And if any of us have loved ones that have departed lately, especially ones that are close, we know we could take heart to know that they're with Christ right now. They don't have their body yet, their spirit's with Christ. And it's great. And I don't know exactly what they're thinking right now or what they can see or any of that kind of stuff, but I can guarantee you this. They're sitting there saying, everything was true that was said. Everything that God promised is true and it's good and it's there. And they, and if I would assume knowing that and knowing that His Word is true and seeing us down here sad, wishing that we could be with them, they would say, it's okay. You can make it. Your time right now on earth, even though you're not with me, 
is going to help bring someone else to know me. It's Christmas time. You must miss someone you know, someone that's close to you. God is encouraging us here. He's encouraging you. He's saying, my patience is love. My patience is love for you because I'm farsighted and I'm not nearsighted. Don't be blind. See, see, see the big picture. It's just a short time while you're here on earth. There's going to be eternity. You're going to be leaping like a calf. You're going to have this beautiful, beautiful home. There's not going to be any evil there. You're not going to have to listen to Alan talk with his raspy voice anymore. God, just tell him to say amen and we're done. Until then, may we be a people that live as we ought to, hastening the day of the Lord in such a way that will give others an ample cause to glory in Jesus. Until one day we'll all be together with Him. Let's have communion. a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense Jesus it's your blood your blood speaks a better word and all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. But Jesus, it's your blood. And what can wash away my sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can wash us pure as snow? Welcome as the Friends of God, nothing but the blood, nothing but your blood, King Jesus. And your cross testifies in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. Now boldly we approach, not in earthly confidence, it's only by your blood, oh, 
something that needs to be dealt with inside. Um, and if there is something in your mind that somehow the Holy Spirit just brought to memory that says, you know, trust me and please put that to rest or something that's going on in your life, now's a good time to do that. And if you've never placed your faith in the first part in Jesus Christ, now could be a good time for that too. So I want to begin with prayer right now about that and then take communion. And God, I... Thank You for Your patience. Lord Jesus, would You herd Your flock right now? Would You help us to lay down any barriers between us and You? Between each other? Anything like that. I pray that You would help us to enjoy this season for what it is about. Meaning You. Lord Jesus, draw people to You. Draw us to You. Draw repentant sinners to You now, please. Please draw new believers to You right now. Amen. Let's read the familiar passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Jesus is meeting with His disciples in the upper room before He's about to go and be crucified on the cross. He says to them, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we'll sing one more song.